Hello and welcome to Neurospicy. I'm your host, Dr. Karen McLennan, a research psychologist specialising in neurodiversity. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with fantastic guests about their life and experiences of being neurodivergent or their work in the realm of neurodiversity. Joining me today is the incredibly talented Gemma Fries. Hello, Gemma. Lovely to have you on the pod. Hiya. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to chat to you today. Um, I think as I ask all my guests to, could you just start by introducing yourself and your link to neurodiversity? So I'm a full-time professional musician, play keyboard synths, vocals, spoken word and rap. Um, I do lots of random things in music, um, which is actually how me and you met, <laughs> doing like a yeah. random thing. Um, and yeah, my link to neurodiversity is that I'm autistic and I got diagnosed with that in November 2022. So um, I've only kind of known about my diagnosis for a year. Great. Thank you. And yes, that is, it was lovely to be able to have some good conversations with you when we first met at um, a music masterclass. Um, and hence why I thought it'd be wonderful to get you on the podcast so we can talk about these things a little bit more for a bigger audience. <laughs> um, so... I love to know a good kind of origin story. Um, so could you talk a little bit about um, kind of where your journey began to becoming a musician? So um, I'm from Sheffield so, and I live there at the moment. And in my uh, parents' house, when they moved in, uh, there was a piano there that the previous owners couldn't be asked to get rid of. <laughs> So, and they just said to my parents, oh, like, you can just have it. Just give us, like, 50 quid, which is obviously nothing. Like, because I think they couldn't be able to get rid of it because it costs a lot to move a piano. Uh, so then I think Fair. my sister... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my sister started having lessons. She's a bit younger than me. And then I was always kind of watching through the crack of the door. And then um, then I kind of started having lessons and I picked it up quite quickly, like maybe around eight or nine or something. And then... Um, I kind of quickly realised that I really liked making up my own stuff on the piano. I was doing that at a youngish age. And I wasn't really thinking, oh, I'm going to make something up or, oh, this is a competition, uh, composition or, oh, here's my verse and chorus. I just, you know, when you're young, you don't have any kind of preconceptions of what a song is or what you should be doing on the piano and what you shouldn't. Um, and then I was really badly bullied at school and I think I used, like, playing the piano as my kind of escape. But I also hated people like listening to me play the piano, which is like the most, contra- what's not, not, yeah, not controversial, but the most like opposite kind of thing. It's like, well, why the hell are you playing an instrument that makes noise for people to hear it? So I'd like play with like the lid, because the piano's got like a lid that comes down over the keys, but I'd play with the lid like under my fingers. So if someone like came in, I'd just whip my hands out and it would be close. <laughs> and for my next trick. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I just hated, I hated, like, people hearing me play. Mm. Um, anyway, so I was doing that, and then my kind of, like, um, singing happened a lot later. Like, I think I felt more kind of vulnerable with doing stuff with my vocals. I mean, it is a more vulnerable instrument. Like, we all hate, our, you know, when you hear yourself, if you send someone, like, a voice message, and then you're like, if you ever play it back and you hear the sound of your own voice, like, oh, I'm always mm. like, oh, my God, I'm going to be sick. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is gross. Um, so, but yeah, start singing, and I did like a music VTech at Norton College in Sheffield, and then I didn't really know what I was going to do. I think I was like interested in like working with kids, and then all of a sudden I was like, actually, I'm going to go to Leeds College of Music, and I did pop and jazz there. So I studied there, and then I was there for like three years for the degree, and then another three years after, made loads, of, you know, lots of projects, lots of bands started there, which I'm still in now, um, and yeah I think that's just is that like a nice summary I mean I'm not like gone into super, some like super detail but there's a bit of nice bit of backstory but not too much <laughs> <don't know>. yeah <laughs> little teaser there no I love that yeah. that's really interesting <laughs> <laughs> and I think like it's really interesting to uh, I guess see like how your confidence I'll hear about how your confidence grew with it because I, I completely get that with I mean I'm not a gifted singer but it is still really like nerve-wracking having to perform no matter what capacity in public because I did a performing arts course and I remember having to get up and sing part of that was because I was like I know I can't do this very well (laughs) but um so did being at Leeds like help your confidence as well in being able to perform and put your music out there I think like it's not when I think of the word confidence I'm like no because it's not like it's more that I've tr- I know that I just love it rather than that confidence. Mm. I don't think I've ever like got confidence. Mm. Um, but there's like a part of me that like doesn't care what people think, but there's a part of me that really does. And some and, and I think when I'm doing when I'm making music, I'm just thinking about how much I enjoy it. And when I'm performing it, I think I am in a performance mode where it's maybe I'm wearing a different hat, so I'm not really. I'm like the performance part of me. So it doesn't feel like I'm thinking about what people think. I'm just doing the job that I'm there to do. But then the second I'm off stage, I'll, you know, go back to what I'm usually like. Because I'm quite mm. unconfident. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. But also with like speak, I think I find speaking probably the most difficult, like at uh, at uni. Sorry, I keep saying college, but it is a uni. But at the time it was called Leeds College of Music, but it's now called... Lee's conservatoire but um yeah I had like a we did like had to do like these presentations and I had like a panic attack because I just hate speaking in in front of people that's like one of my worst worst things and I had like a massive panic attack and I didn't complete couldn't complete the presentation like luckily they still gave me like a good grade but I think like I was like oh my god I can't believe I find this so difficult when I can like perform but it's because you're put in a different setting if you're like oh to do presentation and you're just like in your normal clothes you're you whereas on stage if you're like you as an artist and you know everyone expects a type of performance and people don't really expect you to be yourself on stage they expect like a stage version and I think I can deliver that. Mm, Yeah I think that makes a lot of sense just thinking back to my performing arts days of being able to like I I was the same I really struggled with like public speaking and stuff when I had to be me but being a character and like being a role it just felt very I don't know like oh this isn't me that you're judging up here this is somebody else that I'm playing so it's interesting that you kind of are able like I get to have a similar experience in that performance version rather than having to see it as in like oh I'm just up here being vulnerable exactly in a way it's like I mean it is still you the same at the same at the end of the day but it is there is a certain freedom to kind of I guess you're only sharing 
so much of yourself and you're deciding what that is. And I think vulnerability is really good, but I also think there's a time and a place for being vulnerable and how much you want to share. And you can share like whatever, how much, and that can still be vulnerable, but maybe there's other parts of your vulnerability that you don't share, which I think is freaking fine. <laughs> and that's yeah, no, absolutely. It's like some parts of my vulnerability that, I don't share with anyone, but there will be some parts that I do share. There. So I think, I think like that kind of boundary, I think it's boundaries, isn't it? And I think that that's really important. You don't really get, you don't really learn about that. And you end up, sometimes people end up oversharing and it, it, it kind of, not, not because of their own fault, but because there's no sort of rules or how to's. Mm. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So you're, obviously you've kind of over time been part of and are part of lots of different groups and you're a solo artist and all of this um can you talk a little bit more about kind of I guess your post-education music career yeah so I'm in a experimental improvising trio with me on keys and vocals Lara Jones on saxophone and Megan Rowe on guitar we've done a London Jazz Festival played at Vortex and loads of jazzy jazzy things and I'm in a I'm also in a drum and bass jazz duo again I'm on synths and vocals and then Jenny is on drums um and yeah again we've done lots of jazzy stuff I do my own thing uh, I've been featured in jazz wise I get, I've said the word jazz about 5,000 times <laughs> and then, <laughs> I also play keys and bb's for Maximo Park which are like a I don't know if you know who they are, but they're like a kind of indie art rock band. Um, mm. And then any other sort of stuff that I've done has like been like really kind of cool and random, like workshops, masterclasses, random composing, writing. Um, I've written a track for like an, the EMI library. It was like a liquid drum and bass track. Um, I've just done loads of like random stuff. And I think that's what I kind of thrive on. It's like, I guess like as an autistic person it might it's like that you're always like oh they're gonna have this one thing that they obsess about and obviously mine's music but then there's loads of there's so many elements of music it's never gonna get boring for me so I do like to go between all of them (laughs) yeah no that makes sense that's um yeah really interesting and kind of it must be fun being able to be involved in lots of different projects and do you find that like you're able to because of that be able to I guess satisfy all the different types of music that you obviously jazz was like a common theme there but like are you able to kind of or are you interested in doing that because you're able to kind of play about with different genres and things yeah I've always loved like I think I think the music that I grew up on which is like Massive Attack, Porter's Head, um Cocteau Twins and like the I also really love like Death Grips and um, everything everything and I think like um, the way the way that I was brought up like my parents didn't really were never pushing me to do anything they never pushed me to do music they just were just like yeah whatever so that does help in terms of like not having a preconception of like oh I must follow the the route of jazz and again at uni I was doing two genres and I was very much in both. Um, and I think, like you said, it 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 definitely satisfies. I'm getting like a hundred percent satisfaction. But everyone's different. Some people like they just want to do one genre, and that satisfies them, and that's fine. I think it's it's just diff- it's 
whatever that person is. I think I, I love music so much that I like don't want to leave one stone unturned. Like at the moment, I'm doing some um, vocals for like this metal band because I'm just like, oh, I just want to be part of like. I think I do like being like a part of loads of of different things. I think I'd feel if I was just part of like one thing, I'd feel like I was only using like one part of myself. Mm, that's really interesting so do you feel like it for you it gives you kind of more opportunity to kind of express creativity in lots of different ways or is it more like kind of being able to experiment or yeah I think both because if like so with my yeah with with each band that I'm kind of describing that it's like they're like they're in sub genres right so Jay Frisco yeah it's jazz but jazz has a million sub genres so it's free jazz and it's it also go, comes under noise, which has nothing to do with jazz. And then, you know, J2O is drum and bass. And then it's also kind of um, kind of like a crossover jazz, which is like another genre in itself, kind of. And then some of the stuff I do. So um, I've released an album called Shadowboxing last year, and that's kind of ethereal math jazz, because I really like math music, and I've mixed it with jazz. And then I've just released an album called this is all my flesh and that's got spoken word in it and that's got kind of nothing to do with jazz and I, call, I found, what have I called it oh yeah art grime rocks so I'm just like like you said like when you when you've a more part of like more genres you can then you know then mixing you've got more to kind of mix with more to take from but obviously sometimes it means you know don't obviously put a thousand genres in one song it just means you've got more to play with, but then, but then at the same time, you've you've got to be careful how you weave that together and make sure you're not using everything from that genre. You're just taking little bits, so it's not like you're oversaturating the song with the amount of genres you use. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can imagine there's a bit of a sweet spot with it where <laughs> there's like, oh, we're being creative here, but we're not tipping into just being like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think every artist has, you know, when it's kind of hard to say, like, it's almost like they say it's impossible to say that something is bad in terms of art, right? Everyone's got their own taste. So you can't really say this is bad art or this is bad music. And, but but then there is a certain point where you can say something is dis, distasteful or tasteful. And I think that is to do with how many things you're throwing at the music and what the reason for it is, maybe. I think that's to do with that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, given that you've mentioned um, your new album, we might as well start talking about it as well. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, so, as you mentioned, it, it's called uh, "This Is All My Flesh." Um, could you talk us through about um, uh, what the album's about and kind of what listeners can expect from the album? So, I kind of wrote it kind of a while ago, maybe like two years ago. I kind of wrote that album and Shadow Boxing, which was released before it, kind of at the same time. So, I started with This Is All My Flesh, and I was kind of going between that and Shadow Boxing. Um, and they're both very, very different albums. So, obviously, I was then like satisfying my um, creative needs by going between two things that are so different that when you go from one to the other, you're getting a break from what that style is, if that makes sense. Mm. it's kind of like going between like salt and sugar so you're just you're not having too much of one um so yeah it was I guess it was written in lockdown but it's not a lockdown album so please do not worry about that <laughs> okay <laughs> or do they, that unhinged level that's kind of in the lockdown albums where people are really trying to work through 
I think it just became a thing. And I think, you know, I don't really want to talk about it because it's everyone we've talked about it. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> but it's it's kind of, a, it's kind of like shadow boxing is more about kind of like these kind of undiagnosed health problems that I, that I had, which were nothing mm. to do with COVID. And then this is all my flesh was kind was more about like um, the CPTSD that I had before, uh, as like, um, before the health problems as well so and it does you know it's kind of starts figuring out that maybe those two are linked but that was never the kind of idea in the first place that I never really thought that you know I didn't know how much PTSD could affect your body really um mm. and I think only later have I realized that but the, I kind of separated it with those two albums like shadow boxing was about all the health problems and then this is all my flesh was all about the mental health problems but only now I'm like, oh god, they're like linked, but why did no one freaking tell me? I, does it? It sounds like though that maybe the kind of going backwards and forwards between the two, you kind of did you get a sense now that maybe you were working that out through your music by needing to go back between the two, and that's why they weren't necessarily oh I do this one then I do that one. Maybe because like this is all my flesh is like quite dark sounding, and shadow boxing is quite light but I think I think um, I've got I'm having like two different frames of mind one of them is that I'm I'm really focusing in on the mental health and one of them is that I'm trying to think of like shadow boxing is kind of more about um like the light at the end of the tunnel or so to speak um so and I think like this is all my flesh is 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 you're you're there is a light at the end of the tunnel but you're not you're facing the wrong way yeah yeah no I I just I'm now reflecting on my own CPTSD and thinking about how that feels so I mean I'm really interested in how you experienced um creating an album about your CPTSD and like just I I don't know like did you find have you found it kind of really challenging to do that or was it therapeutic for you or like how how have you experienced like the process of that I think I think a mixture oh sorry there's an alarm that's just gonna um it's not mine Uh, (laughs) I think like a mixture so it's obviously you don't want to kind of trigger yourself so it's not it's not that I'm like trying to dig into my memories and that's not it at all Mm. it's all about how you feel now kind of um after the trauma or traumas has happened and I'm more, I'm quite like, metaf- I'm using metaphors to kind of figure out how I feel, but nothing is like specific. It's all like metaphors. And that's how I like to do it. Cause in a way, like what I was talking about before in terms of boundaries, it means I'm being vulnerable and I know what I mean by these metaphors, but not everyone is going to. So in a way I've got, mm. I'm getting to be a hundred percent myself and I'm being vulnerable, but still I've got a bit of privacy because no one can know exactly what I mean. And you have that extra boundary of like everyone's going to interpret the metaphor differently and you're not saying specifics because you don't want to trigger yourself. You don't want to trigger other people. That's the last thing I've done. I was like, yeah. that'd be so dumb. That would be the worst thing I could ever do. So, and I think, yes. Yeah, so, and, and then like you said, like it's, it's therapeutic in the sense that you're being in tune with how you feel and like being metaphorical with how you feel like, oh, it feels like it's like a, swirl of this or that it just means that you're being more in tune with how you feel 
but it's challenging in terms of your being just incredibly introspective and you know you don't need you know that's great but you need that balance of not so obviously I'll be doing that and that and then I'd need a massive break where it's like right I need to be not introspective and I need to like look outwards and go have a walk or just do something that isn't me looking inside myself Mm, yeah no that must be quite it sounds like you went through a really good process to like I guess protect yourself as well and like I was just thinking when you were talking then about um uh so I'm going through trauma therapy and have been for the last year and I'm with a trauma specialist and it's very we do talk a lot around an issue without talking about the issue directly to kind of avoid that kind of re-traumatizing yourself the way you were talking about the kind of music making process there (laughs) kind of really made me think about that and being able to be like oh yeah you can kind of process stuff and shift stuff without having to like as you said be very you know direct about it and staring at the face and being very literal with it so it sounds like you a little bit like going through that process and also ensuring that your listeners have the same experience without everybody being really traumatized in the process I don't know if that actually reflects what you were just talking about but that's kind of how I was seeing it no yeah because at the end of the day you are making music that's going to be heard so I think whenever you're making musical art the first the kind of first process is your is your creativity you're not thinking about anyone else you're not thinking about the outside outside world but then you have this second stage which is where you're it's more logical this is what it's like for me I do creative bit and I do everything to do with that I don't do anything logical then I go into logic mode which is when I'm analyzing it and I'm going okay that 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 so and that obviously means that I'm, it is at the end of the day, it is, it is a song. Like it's not, I'm not mm. using it as a, it's not a therapy tool. I mean, some of it is, but again, it is something that's going to be heard. If it was just going to be a therapy tool, I wouldn't publish it and it would just be for my own benefit. Mm, um, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's music that, you know, I'm going to have to listen again to. So if, if it's something that I find too difficult or challenging or triggering it's obviously going to be hard listening back to it in years to come so it's like thinking about all those things and if something if I've got a lyric that's too you know that's maybe too triggering I'll just make it more metaphorical or I'll change I'll change something about it and I'll do that in the logic side of it like after all the creativity's been done Mm, yeah no that's I yeah that that makes sense to me and I think also I was listening this morning and um I definitely wasn't triggered by it so I just yeah I, oh, good. I really, <laughs> so you've nailed that um but no it was oh it's so beautiful and just like yeah you could feel I, I felt like I could feel like a like a rawness in it but yeah nothing that was the lyrics are very clever <laughs> this was kind of what I took from it um and yeah very beautiful that's great. That's great to hear. I thought you were going to say like, and I was, I was like, oh God, every podcast. And I was, and I was traumatized. I'm never listening again. No, no, absolutely off, off, like um, opposite of that. Um, and obviously, because I, I guess I was looking out for that because I know that that's what you, um, your album um, is about as well. Um, so yeah, what you've described there, I can really see that reflected in, in the music. So that's great and also with this album as well like it's obviously I'm like doing a lot of spoken words some of it's like kind of rapping Mm. because it's like fast and I think that was something that I was really nervous about again like because it's singing sounds different from your talking voice especially mine but obviously when you if you're doing spoken word or rap that's going to sound more like your talking voice and it's just so hard to like hear yourself back 
Um, and I did find that really difficult. I was like, oh, what if everyone's just going to think I'm like really shit? Like, what was just what? And I was just really worried. Was, like, someone's going to be like, why the hell have you done that? That was like my my main thing. Yeah, no, I did not think that at all. I was actually in absolute awe because I was like, you sing beautifully and you can do like, yeah, spoken word rap like beautifully as well. And I was just like, well, if I try to do that, I would sound ridiculous. But no, no I was but just honestly, like, like that, impressed. I think, I think everyone has, I think, I think with like different instruments and different styles, everyone's got a con- like a preconception of what it is. And like with spoken word, I always found that like if you were a spoken word artist, you had to be very theatrical and you were like mm. always metaphorical <laughs> and you could, you were very confident. And like, that's not me. I'm not any of those things. I'm really like to the point kind of person, not in my music, but in real life. And I was like, oh, I don't identify as that. And then with rap artists, like you've got more preconceptions there. Don't fit in with that. But I also don't fit in any of the others, like in terms of a jazz musician. I didn't have any jazz upbringing. Mm. So because I don't, because I don't fit in anywhere, I think that makes me able to do all these genres because it's not like I really feel belonging to one and which mm. makes it hard to go towards another. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, to be honest, I really feel like you do that so well. And that's one thing I was really thinking when listening to it. Is like, it it's just a very clever mix of stuff. And I think that of stuff, of genres... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I make it sound more professional. Um, no, I like stuff. We've said genres already too much in this podcast, so let's start using stuff. <laughs> we could just like, yeah, lay it up a little bit more. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it's a really, it's just such a clever mix. And there were times where it switched up, and I was like, oh, that's really clever. I did not expect it to go there, <laughs> and I like that. I like being kind of immersed into something but also kept a little bit on the edge of your seat I'm just like oh where's it gonna where's this gonna go oh yeah so that works really well so yeah I definitely you've definitely got a bit of genius around being able to mash up genres in that way mash up stuff in that way (laughs) oh Oh, dear so um now I guess we can talk a little bit more about um, your experiences as a neurodivergent person um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, so could you talk a bit more now about your experiences of, of being um, a neurodivergent person, like working in the music industry? Um, and, and I guess like some of that will be retrospectively viewing this from your position of being a late diagnosed autistic person as well. Yeah, yeah. So like, I think... Um, oh, how can I okay so some of this stuff that we, we've already spoken about before when we did mm. the mass class but I'll obviously repeat that so yeah. I think like um, I have no trouble like performing on stage in terms of like sound I don't get overwhelmed by sound but if I'm in the crowd it's like I hate it I don't go to gigs I hate gigs I barely ever go to gigs I hate them but on stage great and I think mm. when we um, it was because it's because I can control things and I'm, I'm not, first of all, you're not like surrounded by a crowd. You're like, got, you've got loads of space on stage. Um, and also you obviously have your monitors and you've decided what you have in those monitors. So you have control over the sound and it's not too loud. You know, you're not next to the PA, the PA is facing the crowd. So, and then obviously you, you perform and then you just go straight off. <laughs> yeah. You're not waiting in any queues to get in. You're not waiting in queues for drinks. You're not doing any of that. So I think like that's great that I'm able to do that, but it is a quite a strange 
dance that I do that I do that and then won't can't like you know find going to gigs kind of difficult I love you know what I think I find gigs easier to go to if I'm if I go on my own because I can decide like oh I'm gonna stand at the back I'm gonna do this but if you're with a group of people and they're gonna stand closer or they're gonna be in a huddle or they're trying to talk to you you can't hear I think all of that is just quite stressful Mm -hmm. um yeah that was my main thing that I was thinking really and then yeah retrospectively oh my god like I'm just like I put myself through hell I was like doing all these things that you just probably shouldn't do as like an autistic person I was constantly like putting myself in all these like networking things and obviously Mm -hmm. I, I and I thought I had like I knew I had like some sort of social anxiety like I t- could tell that I had like anxiety and I didn't but I didn't know what that was I thought that was just me like something that I had to overcome <laughs> so mm. I was like it's just social anxiety you don't need to feel this way whereas obviously it's not that it's like <laughs> it was autism so completely different oh like there's a mixture of it it's it's, it's mm. more complicated than just being anxious um yeah. do you do you feel like you let yourself off like <laughs> let yourself off a bit more now and are kinder to yourself about like because I can see if you in those times you're like I really need to push myself to be in this situation because I'm not gonna let anxiety defeat me if that's what you're thinking at the time it it, like (laughs) is what's going on now are you like oh my gosh like no I really should have been kinder to myself and do, do you approach situations differently now a thousand percent and also I do have like with the health problems as as well and also the CPTSD it's kind of hard because those come into play as well but yeah I'm I do things so differently (laughs) like I don't force myself to go to social things I'll leave when I want um I don't try and like people please I was I got so good at like learning how to like socialize and I was really good and I could see that I was really good and people liked me but it wasn't really me it was me like learning the rule like learning the rules and and putting these rules in a certain order but that's not really if I was going to 100% be myself I probably wouldn't do any any of those things um so it's hard for me to be like okay I need that's not me so I'm gonna let that go uh because I know that it would it now means that I might not connect with people but but I was connecting people on a untrue basis and I was like using all my energy to people please and do all of that kind of stuff and not and I wasn't being you know I didn't get to be myself and that that's like a big price to to pay in life just not being who you are like that's that hurts and and now even with all these like health problems and CPTSD and all that I am a lot happier because I am being myself a lot more and I think some of the health problems were to do with autism in terms of I had a lot of like stored emotions that I wasn't letting out and obviously with autism you talk a lot about kind of um kind of I don't know if it's the right word to use but like outbursts not outbursts but like episodes I got I don't know how to use like a meltdown meltdown yeah so I was having obviously loads of those and not realizing what those were before I got diagnosed so I was obviously beating myself up about it or just holding in holding in holding in and now I do loads of boxing you can't see on my camera maybe if I just quickly turn it you see my boxing oh yeah (laughs) boxing yeah so doing that and then and obviously trying to prevent it if I can which is to like limit not limit my yeah using trying not to use up all my kind of battery basically Mm, and are you able to like I guess make like rather than pushing yourself into situations that you're like just aren't 
just aren't something you want to be a part of is that helping as well in the sense that you're like well I won't go to that a hundred percent I never yeah I don't push my, I don't even like no I don't even push myself in anything and if anything I've maybe I've gone a little bit to the opposite way I'm like do nothing <laughs> but it's quite funny because I'm like oh my god I really enjoy this but um yeah, don't push myself at all. But but I, th- I think it's hard. I think that's one of the things that is really hard is because in music you do have to network, but that's it's a really difficult thing for neurodiverse people to do. And it's mm-hmm. and it's kind of sad that that is a part of um, making connections is like... I mean, you have to make connections with people. I'm not saying, oh, we should, why do we have to make connections with people? But I'm guessing you're always based on the first impression and networking mm-hmm. stressful because it's loads of people. And I think everyone expects you to be a certain type of person. I think it's like expectations of like, you're going to go up and be like, hi, I'm Gemma Freeze and I'm a this and I'm a that. And and like, I don't know, that's not how I would necessarily like to talk to someone. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's really interesting because I think like, well, we know that there is a are a lot of neurodivergent people in creative industries. Um, so I'm wondering kind of how much of your career do you think you went down this route because it, it did kind of work for you as a neurodivergent person, but also it sounds like there are elements of it which being in the music industry that are really challenging for neurodivergent people. So, um, yeah, I guess could you talk a little bit more about your thoughts around and around that kind of I think it's yeah. but yeah I think like I can obviously zone in on things a bit too well so I'm just and I think that obviously means that I'm can give extreme focus to things so obviously that means I am going to develop like I'm, I'm going to be really skilled and I'm you know I'm I, I, I don't have like loads of skills in any other thing I don't have any other hobbies I just have music so obviously my skills in that are going to be really high but then my skills in anything else I have nothing in <laughs> like gardening cooking like anything no skills but obviously music I have way higher skills because I'm I'm focusing everything in that and I don't have any interest in any other hobbies <laughs> so I think that's obviously what works out for me kind of neuro diverse wise um but I think obviously the difficulties is like the socializing aspect especially in music you like jamming with people you're creating bands or you're doing this so it is a field of art where you are expected to collaborate and you know word and if you're not good at collaborating word spreads and then people don't want to collaborate with you it's it's quite sadly it's kind of like that that makes sense Hmm. So do you do you find that you have a or have you had similar experiences in kind of the because I can see networking and kind of collaborating in a creative sense are slightly different. But do you mm-hmm. find that you can have similar experiences relate? I guess like in terms of how much effort or how much you have to mask challenges you might be having in those situations, or do you find it a bit easier in the uh, collaborating music? Um, musically sense because you kind of have music as a barrier I guess yeah so if I'm collaborating with someone and we're playing music I'm fine but it's the talking it's like the talking part that I'll find really difficult but then the second we do music I'm just like oh finally I can do something like this is the kind of communication method that I 
I don't I don't have any sort of problem playing music with anyone but it's the talking part and then obviously networking is just you're just talking you're not doing like you said you're not doing anything musical and obviously I can kind of mask for a bit you know it's, I'm, I'm not saying like oh I I never mask obviously I do I go out in the world and I'm you know buying train tickets or I'm buying sandwich or whatever so that obviously you are going to have to mask sometimes to pr- protect yourself but it's more like the length of time so if it's a short period of time I think that's fine but you can tell when you're kind of going beyond your kind of threshold and it's like I need to have a like kind of way out and I think sometimes I've got like pre-written things so I'm like I will pretend that I've got like an appointment and I'll, or I'll say that oh I've got an appointment at five so I can stay here for 20 minutes and having pre and and even mess- messaging people that as well so I've said it over message and then said it over, like um, like face to face and stuff like that I mean is this something you've always done or is it something you're doing more now because you're aware of your own needs I'm doing it now because I'm aware I think before I would do like I would just literally run I would just like I would just like walk like leave the wherever I was and not say goodbye and obviously people are gonna be like well she's rude like where's she gone and I won't message people because I'll be too embarrassed but I'll just have this feeling of like oh my god I need to go I need to go I need to go and it gets too unbearable that I would just mm-hmm. be like oh, I'm just going to the toilet and then I'll just go mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah the good old Irish exit or yeah or prefer to call it yeah no that yeah that does sound very much like you were at a point of really pushing yourself to be in situations until it was like I'm overwhelmed now I need to get out of here Um, yeah so yeah it's nice that I guess from having um or realizing that you're autistic to being able to put those things in place to kind of help you a bit more sounds great and I guess like talking about that um I guess outside of just um, uh, the music industry, like what have been has been your experiences of of I guess kind of going through the process of recognizing that you're autistic and uh, your diagnosis, and then kind of how what have been what has been your experiences and reflections kind of of that process for you? I think just loads of different things like. I think when I was, so I was on the waiting list for like a year and a half. And I think obviously that's quite annoying to have to wait, but it did give me a lot of time for it to sink in. And I was, you know, I was reading more and more about it. And I was like, oh my God, this really, like really relates. Um, And then, so in a way when I got diagnosed, it was just a relief. And it was like, oh God, thank God. Because if I don't, then it's like, what what am I then? Just... (laughs) Um, but I think I'm still, because I'm quite, I, I mean, I guess I was about to say, I'm quite a quizzical person, but I'm not. It's just me being autistic. I'm like, hmm, but I guess I don't 100% know. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it's not like a test where you can be like, do a blood test and be like, yes, you are a thousand percent. So like, I remember in like my, um, like my diagnosis appointment with like the psychologist, she was like, so we, ha- we you talk for like two to three hours and then she was like okay I'm gonna tell you now whether like whether you are or not and I was like okay and then she was like she's like oh you you are like autistic and I was like are you sure I kept saying like <laughs> are you sure and she kind of did get a bit annoyed which I found really funny she was like I'm a psychologist I'm a professional <laughs> and I was like yeah but 
don't understand like how like the way my brain works is like hmm but this isn't a guarantee and I'm obviously thinking quite black and white so I think I do mm. find it hard because I'll just have this like little inkling that's like hmm but am I really and I have to be like oh god I need to like shut that part of me up it's just like causing more problems but yeah I think like so I don't really th- I think it's like I think the fact that it's perceived as autism is like perceived as this like thing of being like difficult or whatever by the world it's just like obviously I find it really difficult and I don't tell many people even though like I don't think that and I've never thought that Mm. and I think it's like hopefully as the world changes like it's just it's just a way of describing how someone's brain works it's not like do you know what I mean and also I think maybe we chatted about this before but obviously the world is like set up to and it like for like abled and neurotypical people like Mm. it's it's set in that way it is not it does not work for people who are disabled or um neurodiverse I'm not putting that them in the same category by the way (laughs) Um, but yeah so I think because of that it makes things difficult and that's like the only reason if it wasn't that then it'd be just be like oh I've got this brain Mm. you've got this brain it's like okay cool (laughs) yeah no definitely and I, I think what you described then as um going through that process of being like are you sure and like having that almost like imposter syndrome like I think it's something that I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about of like you know you go through that whole process and I don't know if some of it is because I hear a lot in the media about people being like oh you know people are deciding they're autistic when they're not which is not a thing um but yeah I can see how kind of I don't know I think a lot of people do go through that process of just the imposter syndrome of just being like are we sure here but yeah I think do you think do you feel like that's something that you are as time goes on slowly getting past or do you think that you'll always have that kind of (sighs) do you know what I think I always will and I'm and that's I'm not trying to be like a negative in a way it's me laughing at my own brain and I think that is Mm. just I'm like that with my CPTSD. I'm like, oh, do I really have it? It's like, yes, you have all the symptoms. And I'll go on to start going on my phone and Googling the symptoms again. And I'm like, right. So in a way, when I start to get that thought of, oh, really? That for me, personally, I know that that's unhealthy. And it, the most, the best thing I can do is not entertain that thought. Because if I start to entertain it, I'll go on my phone. I'll look at, I'll look at all the, um, like, symptoms. Even though I've literally been diagnosed with it, like, symptoms of... <laughs> like you don't need to do that but it's like yeah. it's for some reason the diagnosis isn't enough and I think like sometimes maybe it's just me but sometimes things sometimes if something's like that and it feels like hmm, is anything ever going to be enough that's when I know not to go down that hole because I'm like hmm it, it sounds like I like kind of talk to myself and be like hmm sounds like nothing's going to be enough for you to convince yourself that you have these things so maybe this just don't go down that hole <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think comparing that to um, the CPT- CPTSD thing, because I, I also I think I ask my therapist at least once a month. To be like, <laughs> so do we really think I've got CPTSD? And he has to be like, well, let's look at the evidence here. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, OK, fair enough. So I but I guess like, you know, I going having trauma is something that a part of that is that invalidation and feeling of invalidation so and obviously we know how intertwined like that is for neurodivergent people spending a whole lot like you know the the reason why you 
kind of end up gaslighting yourself in certain situations to be like I should be fine in here but I'm not it's because obviously people tell you over and over again everybody else seems to be fine in that situation so it invalidates your own experience and obviously hence why now you're able to be like yeah I'm not okay in this situation so I'm not going to put myself in it or I will leave when I'm ready and things like that so um, I can see why potentially it becomes hard to accept these (laughs) realities (laughs) with the evidence I think like I think you've got to you've got to like I'm not trying to be like all positive, but sometimes you do have to laugh. Like for me, it helps for me to like laugh at my own brain sometimes. Not all the time, not going ha ha ha. But in term, especially in terms of these little kind of behaviours, I'm like, there we go again. There's my brain. There's that little part. I'm like, okay, I'll do stuff like that. And that helps because I think like sometimes we are a bit too serious and it, it should be serious. It's a serious topic, but I think like there can be a bit of lighthearted lightheartedness not not just with yourself I wouldn't want anyone else laughing at my brain I'd be like that's horrible <laughs> Why do you yeah, yeah, yes I get you it's like I could laugh at me but you can't yeah and it's, <laughs> all, it, all it is is being like it isn't life you know it, the, it's just kind of funny mm. I, I but that's just me but other people might be like I don't I don't like appreciate that and that's not something I do and that is totally fine I think that's like my family are quite like that we are like very very jokey sometimes about serious things and maybe it is because I'm trying to take sometimes things are so serious sometimes I want I do want like a little bit of a weight off it before I go back into being serious again so I think it's like having a break from that seriousness yeah no I get you I, I I'm a very you could laugh or cry person so I'm definitely gonna laugh um, I yeah <laughs> I, I think that it is I think it's it's a really helpful coping mechanism I think sometimes when you're just like you know what at some point you do just have to find and also I do generally think that there is sometimes a lot of comedy in the dark times and I can regularly think back on my life and be like god I know that was a really tough point in my life but actually we were laughing so much about it and I can laugh at it now and just see those kinds of the silly moments um so yeah, I can definitely appreciate that kind of stance, whilst also obviously holding the the emotions that you need to hold. Yeah, times I as think well. yeah, it's different, and everybody is different, and it's just mm. about like what works for you. And I think it's just, it's taken. I mean, whether you're whether you're neurodiverse or not, obviously, like your life is about discovering who you are. But it's just more difficult if you're neurodiverse because. It, yeah everyone's going through this life journey but you don't even know what path you're on <laughs> you'll be like I'm on this path of finding myself but why haven't I found myself yet and like everyone's be like yeah I found myself and it's like um why haven't I done this yet oh because like you shouldn't have even been on this road you shouldn't have been on that road love <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel more now that you're on the right road and like well yeah because I'm like I know how I know what my brain is doing I know like you said, it is about validation. And when there's times like when I'm getting overwhelmed, it's not, it's not because I'm being, it's not because I'm crazy. I think I honestly thought I was like crazy. I was always Googling like, um, like mm. different mental health problems. And I was like, oh, it must be this. Not that I'm saying having mental health problems is crazy. I think mm. um, I was just, I just thought I was crazy. And I was looking for like other things to kind of attach to my personality. But, and I think, I just found that really difficult just like not knowing why my brain was doing 
certain things. So it has brought a lot of validation, just be like, oh, okay. But still, even with the diagnosis and the, with, with the validation, I'm still sometimes like, oh, why do I do that? Like, sometimes it can be like frust- frustrating just because you're comparing yourself to someone who's neurotypical who can do something really easily. Yeah, no, I can, yeah, I can, I can see how that could be really challenging sometimes. And I actually want to pick up on something as well that you said earlier around, um, I guess, the times that you find it challenging just to kind of speak openly about being autistic to people. Do you find that that's like kind of in in more in work settings and stuff and and kind of in what, what kind of holds you back from talking about being autistic as well? Yeah, oh, just in work settings, because and and may and because I know the world is a horrible place. <laughs> I know that's a really negative thing to say, but it is. And there's some great things about it. You know, there is obviously great things, but ultimately, there's a lot of horrible things, and there are sadly people who don't understand and will say horrible things to you and will put you in a box and I know that and I'm not saying oh I can tell which person's going to be horrible to me I'm not saying that because that's like Mm. I don't have that sort of antennae but I guess I have that barrier to people where I'm like not sure how they're going to interpret my autism and what they're going to decide and maybe they'll be nice to my face but maybe they will hire someone for a job who isn't autistic or who isn't neurodiverse um and I guess I just have that worry just because of how the world paints its picture of neurodiverse people at the moment and that's not to say that's going to be forever mm. but that it's that's how it's been painted in the past and it's still painted now and I think I see it as like people are going to see it as some sort of like weakness or like difficulty oh it's going to be difficult because of this so and then in work situations because I'm self-employed so word of mouth is like one of the biggest things and reputation mm. is one of the, the biggest things that a musician or anyone who's self-employed has it's their do you know what I mean it's like their gold mm. like you what you have to nurture your reputation and stuff like that and so it's usually in work settings where I won't disclose anything even though that's the place where normally you would disclose something like that because you want help but if you're self-employed you're not going to get any help for this type of thing yeah no I I can completely appreciate that it's so hard because you just don't know what kind of preconceptions that people have and like although I definitely yes can see there's a shift in society when I'm outside of my little echo chamber of people who get neurodiversity you still hear a lot of stuff that kind of makes you realize we've still got a long way to go and I could see how it'd be really challenging and being in a room and being like I have no idea if I say this what you're gonna think of that um exactly um yeah and you could say I mean like no all the work that we've been doing even as like um women in terms of like sexism is still it's honestly I'm telling you now it's not changed you're in your own bubble like you you like sometimes because I've got such nice people who aren't sexist racist ableist um or you know I'll forget and then I'll be like and then I'll go to I don't know I'll I'll overhear something or I'll be in a different place or I'll be in a different space where it's people I'm not friends with them like oh yeah wow okay that work did nothing and I guess I'm being it sounds like I'm being really negative but I'm not I'm just being like honest rather than Mm. yeah the world's great it's moved so forward we're all gonna have great lives (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that by doing that as well, because obviously you hear those conversations like around feminism where they're like, well, you know, we've come so far. And I'm like, yeah, but we still have a huge, huge amount of ways to get a long way to go. Um, and by, by being complacent and being like, oh, we've, we've, we've made progress. Let's stop there. Like, realistically, people are still like being treated very, very poorly. So I, yeah, I completely yeah. think it's better to be realistic and talk about it in that way and yeah okay celebrate the fact that we there is progress but yeah still highlighting actually how much further we have to go is just as important exactly yeah yeah exactly um so I guess also kind of on this topic um what sort of things do you think the music industry actually really needs to do to be able to support neurodivergent musicians oh my god is that a big question <laughs> yeah because the music industry is shit like i don't know if you've seen <laughs> recently but like if you you get 0.0003 pence per stream on spotify and they're about to scrap that so you get nothing so the fact that the music industry does nothing for musicians yeah full stop do you think they're gonna start doing things for neurodiverse people no <laughs> Yeah, again, no. I'm, again, I'm sounding really bleak, but like they're not even doing they're not even doing anything for musicians. Okay, but let me try and answer your question. So let's pretend they're doing something for musicians. Um. <laughs> let's say, let's say when they eventually start paying the musicians well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, what what then can they do to support neurodivergent people? <laughs> I think like so. There's, so there's a few things we'll talk about. One of them is funding. So. There's not, so there's a lot of music funding, which is great, but there's not that much music funding that is specifically for neurodiverse people or I've noticed like disabled artists. There's like, I think there's We Are Unlimited is one for disabled artists, but there's not that many. There's not as many as there is for neurotypical uh, neurotypical people or able-bodied people. And I think that's a problem because they're more likely to need funding. Mm, <laughs> Duh. Yeah. um so that's an issue and and I think we've spoken about this before in terms of gigs I think like Mm. I don't know I think you know in terms of like decibels I mean there there, there's some venues that will have like a decibel limit which is good and then there's there's some that should do something about frequencies like if there's something that's a really horrible high frequency I don't think they have anything to do I don't think they have that um do you know what I mean like if there was a if a thing where it automatically gets rid of like a certain type of frequency that would be pain- more painful to a neurodiverse person. And I guess mm-hmm. like they don't even do free earplugs in every venue. I mean, that's like the most basic bitch thing. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? I forgot to ask. Of course you can. <laughs> Anything yeah, goes. Right. Yeah, like free earplugs that cost about 1p is like mm-hmm. the most basic bitch thing ever and they don't even have that. So it's like, mm. So So when you were talking about the frequencies, is that like a like a sound engineering issue in that the the music levels need I'm so bad with music they go need to be sorted yeah out of the PA so yeah so like I mean they do have that they have this thing called like a feedback suppressor which will suppress that but in terms of in terms of I guess what I mean is like some bands there's like I've seen a band before where their bass was so subby it was painful or their synth sound was had this high pitchness about it that was painful, and that's obviously the instruments, but it is going through the PA. It's but it's not feedback, so it's not going to suppress that. 
so in a way there's no I guess it's a sound engineering thing but some sound uh, a lot of sound engineers aren't that good (laughs) you're gonna get bad sound engineers that aren't gonna be like oh I need to do this thing so it Mm. it could definitely be something that's like like in terms of EQ it's right if something's below 40 hertz which is like would be we wouldn't even be able to hear that as humans but maybe maybe 60 then then that Mm. gets cut out something's below above this and both those you know, it's not going to make a difference to people who are neurotypical, but it would make a massive difference in terms of like, it's now not painful anymore to my ears. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense because those kinds of things you could put like in, not enforce, but you know, could say as a, by the way, if you need to check this, because if, yeah, this is above this level, then a proportion of your audience are going to have a really bad time here. So I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's really interesting kind of perspective as well as as you said having earplugs available I think would be good for everybody <laughs> um because it's can be allowed for a lot of different people as well yeah and th- I mean there could also be something where it's like I mean I just thought of this just now but like if there was like a special event where kind of like a silent disco but you everyone had was going to a gig and you were given like different headphones for if you were autistic, though, they would get rid of the sub bass and the high frequency. If you were, what well, I don't know, I don't know, like different people with different needs. I don't know in terms of mm. ADHD, what um, if it's the same in terms of sound, or if there's something more you would need, maybe. Um, so I guess like that could work as well. <laughs> that's, that's more expensive, but obviously yeah. that's like a dream. But um, yeah. Oh, it's fine. We can dream big here. I think it's a good space to be able to do that. That's really interesting. You made me think a lot about research, which I need to <laughs> not get dragged down into more projects. Um, so, but so then for the, like as a performer, is there anything that you encounter that you think like could be supported by venues or the music industry in general as well to like to support neurodivergent people? as a as a performer well I guess like I said like it would be great to get paid what you know mm. at least one pence by Spotify which that doesn't happen you won't get paid artists more artists won't get paid more by Spotify um so that would be great um <laughs> yeah I think like I think there's just honestly there's a lot of bad sound engineers and like recently like the, the sound engineer basically blew my ears off and I've got like acoustic trauma um mm. and I already have hypersensitive ears so it's like it's like they're on acid or summer but like it's they're so sensitive I mean I'm, I'm glad I haven't lost any hearing but it's mm. gone the other way where it's like it's really painful and it just I think it should be if someone does that to you there should be like there should be some sort of law because if you're causing someone you might have done it by accident but in at same but it is an injury at work and like mm. there's not really in music in I guess other art forms as well there's not any laws about anything it's just like oh whoops you yeah, have damaged your ears like it's quite hard to sue people but I think like there's you don't have much protection and again like you've got like musicians union stuff which costs loads of money each year to have which is then like more money that you're having to like um spend on being a self-employed person um and there's not a union for neurodiverse I don't know well maybe there is but I don't know if there's like a specific union like a musicians Mm -hmm. union for neurodiverse people which would obviously have different 
information on it or more information about specific things and help with this kind of stuff um but yeah there's like in terms of like being performer there's like different monitors that are just like horrible and painful and some that are great and that's like down to equipment so there's like mm. so much that needs to be done in terms of like this equipment needs to be like banned because <laughs> it's terrible it doesn't work for anyone it's not just like neurodiverse people but it's like more doesn't work for them if that makes sense. yeah no that does make sense and I think like that's a really important point that you made about the fact that because musicians are are self-employed and there's not enough protections there that actually that's going to affect all musicians but you then end up with like minority groups obviously are going to be even more affected by that and obviously neurodivergent people are one of those groups so um it makes sense that actually a lot of these things that need to be addressed in the music industry would have you know uh, changes would benefit everybody but actually there probably does need to be extra things in place to support certain types of mus- musicians like neurodivergent people yeah for show. oh gosh <laughs> I really I thought you'd be like here we go I've got a really quick fix solution for you but actually you're right there's there's so many things that need to be a- a- addressed that um Obviously, I, in my work, I look at that a lot from an audience perspective, um, but it feels like we do need to really understand a lot more about it from a performance perspective as well. And obviously, sit that in the context of the wider issues for musicians at the moment as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, there is like a thing going around going like hashtag boycott Spotify. And the thing is, is like at the moment, like Spotify earns more than its massive artists. So Spotify earns more than like Beyonce, <laughs> like all its big artists. It's just like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, something has gone really wrong here. Um <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. So um I think now since we've been talking for quite a while, um I might move on to my kind of final question, which is a question that I ask all of my guests. Um, so if you could change one thing to make the world a more neurodivergent friendly place for yourself um, but obviously this will probably help others too and um, what would that be and why um I think if everybody oh my god so I was thinking about when you sent this email over I was like thinking about it but I'm still finding it hard to word it even though I know what my answer is but like I think one of the difficult things is people not understanding what it is and even if someone reads about it they don't understand how it feels and you can say the same for everything right um for every minority minority group no uh, people who aren't in that group don't know how it feels and therefore you get invalidated and people say you know and I think if like everyone had this like machine (laughs) which they had to go through which meant they could temporarily (laughs) and this sounds like torture now (laughs) no no, I'm I'm with you I'm sticking with you (laughs) I think I think if there was like something that meant that people could know how it feels then obviously they would be able to everyone everybody would be able to help each other more and kind of understand and there wouldn't be there wouldn't be it would just be like 
everyone's got a different brain. Now I'm saying that, I'm like, it just just sounds like some weird, like, device. I'm like, oh, maybe I should just scrap that. That just sounds weird. No, I like that idea, because I think you're definitely right, is that I guess part of it is people do really assume that they know what it's like. Um, And also, because they don't know what it's like, they, they just have this kind of block and aren't able to be compassionate towards others. So... I think that that makes a lot of sense to be able to be like, if we could do anything, we can give you an opportunity to walk in somebody else's shoes and actually see what it's like. And then you might be a bit more understanding about what that person's going through. So, Or maybe I could just give everyone like, like re- a nice amount of empathy, like not too much where that like, you know, like, like me where I'm like empathizing with like inanimate objects, but like <laughs> a nice amount. <laughs> I guess that's what nice. I was kind of describing, but in like some weird like machine form. <laughs> I love the creativity. I mean, if anybody is going to come up with a creative suggestion, it should be <laughs> you, clearly. <laughs> well, I love that. I, I think that's a great addition to the bank of answers that we have. So thank you for thinking about that in advance. I appreciate the effort. <laughs> Well, okay. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gemma. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, make sure you follow Gemma on her socials and check out her new album and all her other albums. Uh, this is all my flesh, um, which are all going to be linked in the show notes. So all I have to say is thank you and um, goodbye. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow or subscribe. You can also find the show on Instagram at neurospicy.podcast.